Um, okay, this is <laughs> this is this is what we're hoping, I'm hoping is happening. If you are uh, someone here this afternoon and you are just looking into Christianity, so so maybe you're not sure what Christianity is all about. Maybe you've uh, been looking into it for a while, but you feel like you've never quite got your head around it. Maybe you're just looking into um, Jesus for the first time. You're just starting to think, oh, who is this Jesus guy? Does he have anything to say to me? Maybe you've been dabbling with Christian, Christianity for a bit. You know, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But never merely come to believe it for yourself. Come to be willing to take that plunge. Here's what I want to do today. I want to tell you as truth that you absolutely need to understand in making a decision whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. You see, the decision to follow Jesus or not is based on understanding what that decision means. And I want to tell you a truth this week that is absolutely essential you understand before you make a decision to follow Jesus. If you are a Christian today, so if you're someone here who would say, yep, I follow Jesus, and I know him, and I believe he died so that I can be forgiven, I've accepted that forgiveness for myself. If that's where you are, I want to tell you a truth which will encourage and strengthen you. Okay, so I want to talk about a truth today that's going to encourage and strengthen you. If you're someone here who's a, a Christian, that's what I want to do. Maybe you've come here this Sunday afternoon, you're just a little bit tired. You're a little bit weary. You feel like, oh, I, just, I, I just could do with a bit of encouragement. I could do with something to encourage me, to strengthen you. Well, I want to tell you a truth that's going to do just that. It's going to encourage you, it's going to strengthen you. Maybe you've come here full of doubts, unsure what you believe. Maybe maybe you've been following Jesus, but you're just tempted to give in now. You're tempted to give up. It, it, maybe you've been uh, tempted by a different way of life, by different things to pursue, and, and you're just there, I just don't know if I should even bother keeping going with Jesus. Well, the good news is, I want to I tell you something that's going to strengthen you to keep going this afternoon. The question is, how how do I do that? Like, what is what is the truth that I could tell you that would that would achieve this? What's the truth that you need to understand as you're deciding whether or not you're going to follow Jesus? What is the truth that you need to know if you're going to be encouraged this afternoon? What is the truth which will strengthen you to keep going with Jesus? Well, what is that truth? I wonder how you'd answer it. Like, how would you answer it? If, if, if someone came to you and was like, look, I'm not sure if I should become a Christian or not. I'm not sure if I should follow him. I'm not, I'm not sure if I should bother taking that step. What, what's the truth that you would tell them? Or if someone came to you and they're like, look, I'm just, I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling kind of worn down. I just want something to encourage me, to strengthen me in my faith, to help me to keep going. What's the truth that you tell them? Maybe, maybe the truth that you tell them is that God's loves them. Maybe, maybe that's the truth you tell them. That is gloriously true and important for you to understand if you're thinking about following him or if you're trying to keep on following him. Because it's the, it's the truth that God loves you that gives you the desire to follow him for the first time. Until you understand that God loves you, until you understand the depth of God's love for you, it'd be very difficult for you to decide to follow him. I hope you go away from this afternoon knowing that God loved you enough to die for you. But that's not the truth we're going to talk about this week.
Maybe the truth that you would tell someone if they came to you and said, look, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure if I should follow Jesus or not, or I'm feeling down for Maybe the truth that you tell them is the truth that they are forgiven. That is amazingly true. God promises that we can be forgiven because of what Jesus did when he went to that cross and he died. But he promises us, he promises every one of us that forgiveness is available for us. If you're thinking about following Jesus, if you're trying to make that decision for yourself, you need to know that forgiveness is available for you, whatever your past might look like. Whatever you've done, whatever, whatever guilt you bring with you, forgiveness is available for you. You need to know that truth if you're going to decide to follow Jesus. If you are weary, struggling to hold on to Jesus, you need to find the rest and freedom which comes from knowing that you're forgiven. If you're tempted to give up on Jesus, to go your own way, maybe you've already set off down that path, a path away from Jesus, living your own kind of life, you need to know that forgiveness is available for you. I, I hope none of us go away from this afternoon not 100% confident that forgiveness is available for us, and more than that, I hope that every one of us goes away from here, not lacked by guilt, but knowing that we are personally forgiven. It's a great truth. One of the foundational truths, but it's not the truth we're going to talk about this week. There are so many truths that you need to understand to help you decide to follow Jesus for the first time. There are so many truths that you need to understand to encourage you to keep going. But this week, I'm going to talk about one which you might not expect. I reckon if I'd gone around the room, no one would have come up with this truth as the truth that you need to know if you're going to decide to follow Jesus, the truth that you need to know if you're going to keep going with him. Look at me at verses 21 and 22 of chapter 14. This is what's happened. So they preached the gospel in that city. So this is Paul and Barnabas. They're preaching, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And they're winning a large number of disciples. So they're telling them something that is making people follow Jesus for the first time. And then they return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So this message that they are telling is a message that is bringing new people to follow Jesus for the first time, and that is encouraging and strengthening people who already follow Jesus to keep going with him. That's exactly what we should be talking about. What is the truth that's going to help them do that? Here is the truth. So there now. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, it's not where I'd have gone. It's not, it's not the truth that I'd be like, yes, this is what you need to understand if you're going to be strengthened in your faith. If you're going to keep going, if you're going to decide to follow Jesus, what is it you need to understand? This is what you need to understand. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Like that, I've put that up there, and my hope is this is like a memory verse today. If you ever went to like Sunday school and you got memory verses, this is your memory verse for, to, for today. Okay? If you don't remember anything else from today, but you remember these words, that will serve you incredibly well when you are sat at home deciding whether you're going to follow Jesus for the first time, or when you're sat at home thinking about whether you're going to keep following Jesus. I just want you to know these words. We must go through many hardships. To enter the kingdom of God. It seems like not the most encouraging of messages. 
But in order to understand why they're saying this, we need to go back in time. It's like that, that bit in a film, you know, where, where a film starts and you have a conversation with two people or something happening with two people. You know, two people are holding a gun at each other and you, you, you're thinking, oh, why is this happening? And then the film goes 48 hours earlier and you go back and you see what's led them to that point. That's what we need to do to understand why Paul thinks this is the message that is going to encourage Christians to keep going. We've got to understand what he was doing, probably more than 48 hours, but we don't really get the timings in Acts, so we're just going to have to guess, but probably a few months. We've got to go a few months before. First, we've got to go a few months before to Iconium. This is the place we read about at the beginning of Acts 14. We've got to understand Paul's experience in the city of Iconium. What happens to Paul in Iconium? He goes there. He goes to the synagogue, which is where he always starts his ministry. And he goes and he preaches the good news of Jesus to these crowds of um, Jews and probably kind of Gentile converts to Judaism. He preaches this good news of Jesus to the people in the synagogue. And loads of people are like loving it. Loads of people are like, yes, we love this. Great, we've never heard anything like it. Loads of people come to believe. But it doesn't end there. What starts happening is those Jewish people who don't believe, who go, actually, we don't agree with this, they start poisoning people's minds against Paul and Barnabas. That's what we're told in, in Acts 14. You see, after that amazing start, the tide changes. There's this group of people who don't believe. And, and here's what we see in Iconium. Okay? This is what I'm calling the Iconium strategy. If you want to know what, what hardship, what resistance to um, the gospel looks like, this is the Iconium strategy. It's fairly straightforward. It's outright open hostility. Okay? You've got this group of people, like, we don't like what you are doing, Paul. We don't like this message you're talking about, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to start bad-mouthing you to other people. That's where they begin. They begin by bad-mouthing them. They begin by poisoning people's minds against them. But then, not happy with just that, then they, they come up with this, these threats. Okay, There's this threat to their safety. And it ends with, with this kind of very real possibility of violence towards Paul and Barnabas. They come with this plan, this plan, and this plan is fundamentally to kill them. They want to ill-treat them and stone them. Now just imagine, imagine the emotional journey that Paul and Barnabas would have gone on in Iconium. They'll have turned up. They'll have preached this good news of Jesus in this city. Loads of people will be following them. They'll be like, this is amazing. Starting so well. They'll be going home excited, telling stories of the people who accepted Jesus for the first time. The amazing work that God's clearly doing there. They'll come back every day with another story and another story and another story. It seems to be going so well. The church in Iconium is growing rapidly. Amazing things are happening day in, day out. that have been on a high. But then, the kind of conversations you start having when you're coming home from the synagogue start to change. Suddenly you're not having conversations about the people who accepted you. You're having conversations about the people who've been arguing against you. Suddenly you're having conversations about all the people you've come across who are now suspicious of you. And you start wondering, I wonder what people have been saying about me that makes all these people so suspicious of me. People start accusing you of all kinds of things. One day when you leave the synagogue, there's a crowd there. And you suddenly feel not as that safe. 
you suddenly, there just feels like there's some hostility in the air, and you suddenly think, oh, maybe this isn't going to just end with words. Maybe there's actual danger to me and my life. And you walk home, slightly nervous, getting home, telling the story, not of these great successes, but of the fact you were followed home by a crowd and you weren't sure how it was going to end. Then some people start being more actively aggressive towards you. It's not just the threat, there's actual aggression towards you. Splits start happening. There's division. What might you do in that situation if you didn't know that following Jesus involves many hardships? What might you do in that situation, having gone through that journey from the incredible highs to the real lows? What might you do if you didn't know that truth? That truth that I've said we need to understand. You'd probably start off excited, enthusiastic, full of faith. But as then, as it all started to unravel, you'd probably start to wonder, what's gone wrong? You start thinking, maybe I'm not doing this properly. Maybe I'm not following Jesus like I should do. Or, or you might start thinking, maybe Jesus has abandoned me. Or you might even start thinking, maybe none of it was true in the first place. Maybe I've just been conned. Maybe it was all just wishful thinking. Paul knows firsthand that sometimes following Jesus leads to open hostility. People don't believe in Jesus and they don't want anyone else to believe in him either. They hate Jesus. They hate everything Christianity stands for. And they will want to oppose everything you are doing. And if you don't know that that is a reality, if you're not prepared for this, then when it comes, you will become discouraged and you will be tempted to give up on Jesus altogether. I just want to be clear. This is not simply something that happened 2,000 years ago. This continues to be reality for Christians today. Some people hate Christianity and they will be openly hostile towards it. They will write think pieces about the cruelty, the oppression, the delusion of Christianity. They will poison people's minds against it. Some people will go further. They will plan and they will perpetrate violence against Christians. If you are today thinking about becoming a Christian, you need to know that that's a possibility. If you are someone here today going, I want to keep following Jesus, you need to know that you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom. And sometimes that hardship will look like open hostility. And, and that may well be true for us as a church as well. That might be true for us at Grace Church. Not everyone in Hartlepool will like Grace Church. I, I know you find that hard to believe, but, but not everyone will. Some people will hate us and they'll hate what we're about. They'll call us bigots or intolerant or out of date. They will accuse us, perhaps sometimes, of things that aren't true. They will seek to oppose us, to prevent us from meeting, doing certain things. It's important we know that that's a possibility. Because <coughs> the danger is that for as long as Grace Church is growing and successful, and everyone's saying nice things about it, and everyone loves us, that we're like, this is great. 
But when the tide changes, when instead of that we get opposition and hostility, we feel discouraged, we assume that it's all gone wrong and we give up. What is the learning that Paul takes from his time in Iconium? What is it he learns from that experience? What is it that he learns that he thinks is so important that when he gets back to Antioch, he wants to tell them about it? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's the learning Paul takes from Iconium. So, that's Iconius. They press on. They press on to Lystra. And Lystra starts even more impressively than um, it did in wherever we were before Iconium. Lystra starts with a miraculous healing. The kind of thing Jesus did when he was like walking around on earth. This lame person is healed. Miraculously, he can walk again. And the response was extreme. People are amazed. But notice what they go on to do. You, you'll notice this as you were hearing it, because like, even if you zone out the most of it, you'll notice that suddenly you, that people are talking about Zeus and Hermes. This is what they do as response to this amazing act. They declare Paul and Barnabas must be gods. They call one Zeus and one Hermes, and they decide they want to sacrifice to them. Now, now, that seems like a bizarre reaction, but I think if we take a step back, we can see in these two cities, Iconium and Lystra, two of the great threats to the gospel which have plagued the church throughout its history. Let's start with the question. Why do people object to Christianity? I've just said that some people will hate it, and they do. Some people will not like what Christianity is about. Some people object to it. Why do they object to, so fiercely to Jesus? Well, it, it's quite simple because Christianity, because what Jesus teaches, doesn't fit with their worldview, with the way they understand the world. So, so maybe it doesn't agree with their morality. They want to live a certain way. They don't like the fact that Jesus says we shouldn't live like that. More than that, they can't cope with the fact that other people might say that their way of life is not okay. And so they object to Christianity. They don't like Christianity because they object to their morality. Some people hate Christianity because they object to their beliefs. Doesn't agree with what they believe. Maybe they believe in a different God, and they don't like the fact that Christianity states there is only one God. Maybe they, they like to believe that they are answerable to no one. And they don't like the fact that Jesus says that each one of us is ultimately answerable to God. Some people don't like it because it disagrees and contradicts their beliefs. Some people don't like Christianity because it threatens their sense of identity. They like to think of themselves as a good person, and they don't like the fact that Jesus says that none of us are good. They like to think that they're independent. They don't like the fact that Jesus says we are all by nature dependent on God. This is, that's, at its most basic level, that is why people are hostile to Christianity. Because it doesn't agree with what they think. And what do you do when you find that Christianity is challenging your worldview? Well, I think you have two options. I, I call one of them the Iconium strategy, the other one the Lystrian strategy. The Iconium strategy is straightforward. Open, outright hostility. You ridicule it, you discredit it, you attack it. You do anything you can to oppose it so that you can remain unimpacted by Jesus. But there is also the Lisbon strategy. This is different. What about if instead of attacking Christianity, you instead try to just fit it in with what you already believe? 
When faith with a worldview is challenges your own, you could, instead of attacking it, go, could we just mould this so that it fits into what I already think? Then I don't have to attack it. That's what happens here in Lystra. You have these Greeks, and they believe in other gods, in Zeus and Hermes. But all of a sudden you have these two guys talking about Jesus, saying that their gods are worthless. That there's only one living God. Now these two things are entirely incompatible. If Jesus is God, the one true God, then, then Zeus and Hermes are nothing. They are not God. They are worthless. That's what Paul says. But they start thinking, these people in Lisbon, okay, these two things are incompatible, but, but what if they weren't? What if you take these people doing these amazing things and you just fit them into your current beliefs? What if you decide that Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes? Well, now you can have both. You don't have to change your current worldview. You can just fit it in. I've got these Greek gods and now I've got Paul and he can be Zeus and um, Paul he can be Hermes. Barnabas he can be Zeus. Jesus can be another god that sits next to them. Great! What about if we could have our cake and eat it? This is what I've broadly speaking called assimilation. See, it's the other way that you attack Christianity. It's the other way that you seek to, to oppose it. And this is, is the strategy which I think we see much more in and around us today. Now, now don't, don't hear me wrong. We don't have people reclassifying apostles as Greek gods. Like, I've never come across that in all my conversations. I've never had anyone have that conversation. But we still fundamentally have an approach which is, what if instead of just being outrightly hostile to Christianity, we just mould it so it fits nicely into what we already think? Let me give you some examples. We still have people who believe in other gods and want a Christianity where Jesus is one God among many. This is what people mean when they describe themselves, for example, as Buddhist Christians. You'll hear people describe themselves like that, I'm a Buddhist Christian. It's exactly the same as what's going on here. I've got my Greek religion. Ah, oh, I'll put Jesus in that. Oh, look, I'm now a Grecian Christian. It's exactly the same thing. You'll, you'll see tons of people describe themselves as Buddhist Christians. It's just that. It's exactly the same thing you see here. I have these beliefs. I'm going to fit Jesus in. Brilliant. Now we're there. It's also sort of what you see with Jehovah's Witnesses. Happy with Jesus being a God, as long as he is one God among many. The same basic principle. Do you see it in that sort of sense? You'll, you'll see it some other ways. You see it with people who are worried that Christianity might not agree with their behaviour. So they, they say something like this. Oh, we're fine with Christianity, but we also believe in sexual freedom and expression. And so could we just have a brand of Christianity which basically doesn't have anything to say about sexual ethics? Would that, would that be okay? Could we just have that kind of Christianity? Or, or take another example. We're, we're fine with Christianity, but we also really like being rich and spending our money on ourselves. Could we have a Christianity which just doesn't have anything to say about money? Would that be awesome? We see it in people who are worried that Christianity might not agree with their beliefs. They go, look, we're fine with Christianity. We think it's got a lot of good things to say about it. But you can't really expect me to believe in an actual resurrection. Could we please have a Christianity just without a resurrection? Would that be all right? 
You see it in people who are worried that Christianity might limit their freedom. They go, look, we're fine with Christianity and believing in Jesus and forgiveness and love and all that good stuff. But we could do without a Christianity which involves being a part of a church or reading my Bible or praying or doing any of those things. Could we have a Christianity which is with a bit more of a take-it-or-leave-it approach to the Christian life? You see it all the time. And this is the really sad thing. The sad thing is that across our country, when people have asked these kind of questions, church after church has said, oh yeah, we can do that. You want a Christianity without the resurrection? I'll give you a Christianity where the resurrection is a metaphor rather than a physical reality. It's a picture. Oh, do you see? Yeah, 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 we're fine with that Christianity. Yeah, we quite like that Christianity. You want a church which allows you to continue behaving how you want? Well, of course. We'll give you a Christianity which will approve of whatever you do. You want a Christianity which doesn't require a Christian lifestyle? We can do that. We'll give you a Christianity that's only about what you think. Happens, it's happened again and again for hundreds of years. It's exactly the same as what happens here in Lystra. Oh, what if Christianity didn't contradict what we already thought? What about if we could have Zeus and Hermes and Jesus? Wouldn't that be great? This strategy is so effective because rather than fighting against Christianity, you can just seek to tweak it here and there, smooth off some of the rough edges, so that in the end there is no conflict. And notice as well, this kind of opposition feels a lot better than the other kind of opposition. Give me two types of opposition, the one where people are trying to throw stones at me, or the ones where people are calling me a god. I'll take the one where people are calling me a god, thank you very much. Like, it feels so much better. You see, there's, there's often this element of flattery that goes with it. You'll hear people. You'll hear people saying things like, "Oh well, it's just great that you're not like those, you know, those intolerant fundamental Christians over there. You're just so much better than those. It's really great that you understand, like, you know, the heart of the gospel is forgiveness and love. It's great that you get that. Oh, it's great that you understand the culture that you're living. You just connect so well with people. There's this flattery that goes with it that massages your ego and makes you feel good." You feel good about yourself. You don't want to lose that. So you go along with the compromise that they suggest, and Christianity is lost. It's just lost. The temptation is very real, which is why so many churches take that path. But notice Paul and Barnabas are having absolutely none of it. They come out and they refuse to be associated with Zeus and Hermes. No, they say they're here to tell them about something entirely different. About a living God instead of the worthless dead gods that they're believing in. Not pulling their punches. They're here to tell them about the fact that they need to turn to Jesus, that, that God will not just look and overlook what they've said. This is this is just classic warfare. There's two strategies basically in war. Imagine that there's a rebellion in a country. Okay, so I don't know. I think Star Wars, but you know, you don't have to think Star Wars. But they're like the surely the world's most famous rebellion is in Star Wars. Anyway. Discuss later. Um, but, but imagine there's a rebellion in a country. You have a rebellion in a country. You have two ways that you try and squash that rebellion. One is the Iconian strategy. Outright hostility. Let's just kill all the rebels. But the other is, let's get the rebels in a room. Let's tell them how great they are. Let's, let's tell them how valued they are in our society. Let's give them some positions. Let's make one of them the mayor. Let's make one of them um, uh, kind of head of the council. Let's give a few of them uh, a couple of payoffs. 
And you just try and make it so the rebellion actually just fits in with what you're about. It's just classic warfare. You do one of the two. You, you try and write them out, or you try and make them just kind of fit in. But notice what happens when Paul and Barnabas refuse to be assimilated. You return to tactic one, <laughs> the Iconium strategy. Okay, you will not be assimilated, so we're just going to take out the city and stone you. Going to kill you, we're going to get rid of you. Back on to full attack. Now, back to our memory verse for the day. Imagine if Paul and Barnabas didn't know we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What would have happened in Lystra? Well, they'd have started out and people would have been so positive and so responsive. And, and they, they maybe at the start they'd have tried to kind of fight against the compromises. But when people got hostile, what would they have done then? Well, they'd either give up, disheartened and defeated, or they'd think, look, everything goes so much better if we just compromise. Everybody likes us so much more, we're so much more successful, everything's so much easier. So that must be the right way to go. And so they go along with it. If you, this afternoon, want to be strengthened in your faith, if you want to be equipped to keep going for the next one, two, five, ten, twenty, fifty years in your faith, you need to know that you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Which I guess leaves us, I mean, hopefully it leaves you with this question, definitely won't leave me. If it's going to be so hard, why would I bother? Like, it's like the world's worst sales pitch. Here, come, buy this product. It's going to be really hard. Like, who's buying that? If you're here thinking about becoming a Christian, you're like, yep, well, you've convinced me out of it. Like, why would I do that? If you're here thinking, ah, oh, I did want to keep going, but now I'm not so sure. I think I might not. Why would you bother? I'm not a, if you're not a Christian here today, why would you sign up for something that's just going to bring you many hardships? If you feel like giving up, why shouldn't you if the alternative is many hardships? And the answer is found in recognising that almost everything in life that's worth doing involves many hardships. You don't need to be a Christian to know that. None of our greatest achievements came without hardships. None of our deepest joys came without hardships. Paul went through all these hardships of Iconia and Lystra, and if you remember what we're looking at in Philippians over the past few weeks, if you're around for that, many, many more hardships, beatings, prison, eventual martyrdom, and yet he would talk about the surpassing joy he found in knowing Jesus. Jesus himself would go through more hardships than any other human being in history, and yet would endure it all for the joy set before him. So we go through the many hardships, and in the hardships, we experience joy until the day when the hardships end and we enter into the joy which Jesus himself is looking forward to, which Jesus himself has prepared for us. I'm going to give us a, a minute of quiet now, a minute or two. I'll see how I feel, how awkward I find the silence. Um, and here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to look at that verse at the top. You must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I want you to commit it to your memory. I want that to be a, a, a verse, some word that you remember. And as you commit it to your memory over this next minute or two, I want you to think about, in your life, where do you need to remember that to? Where is it that you have been encountering hardships and you've allowed that to dent and shake your confidence in God? Where is it that you've seen hardships and you've allowed that to prevent you from coming to know the God who loves you, who died for you, who offers you forgiveness and acceptance? So just in, in a minute or two, I want you to think about those words and think, where is it that I need to remind myself of that? Take, take a few minutes to think about that and I'll pray for you.